Good morning. Second Corinthians chapter six. Working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time, I listened to you. And in a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is a favorable time. Behold, now is a day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God... We commend ourselves in every way by great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing everything. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children. Wide in your hearts also. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has a temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord. And touch no unclean thing. Then... I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Let's pray. Father, as we prepare our hearts to gather around the table, Lord, I pray that the word would make a home in our hearts. Lord, that our hearts would be moldable, and that we would be ready hearers, and not just hearers only. But Lord, apply the word to our lives that we might be obedient. In Jesus' name, amen. Just entitled the message, chapter 6, Faithful. Faithful. What does it look like to be Faithful. Paul picks up in six where he left off in five. Actually, you know, the chapter markings aren't inspired, so somebody just decided. But really, there's a thought there that we are ambassadors. Every one of us are ambassadors for Christ. So Paul, as a faithful ambassador, 
faithful? What does it look like? First of all, verse one, a faithful believer, a faithful pastor, a faithful ambassador understands the privilege that we are servants of the living God. That he works with us, that he has called us into this great opportunity, into this great ministry, this great partnership. Jesus, in his invitation, said, come unto me all you that are weak and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Paul said, I've died, my life is hid in Christ, so it's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. Philippians chapter 2, 11 and 12. He says, it's God that works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Jesus said, I will build my church. So again and again, I, I, I share this statement that our elders agree with, that we're all on the same page with it. We're not looking for big ideas. We're not trying to come up with a big vision statement for the church and, and what you, you know, what you, we think you ought to do or maybe a big idea for God to accomplish. God is always at work. We're just trying to join him in what he's doing. So there are decisions to make. We have to be in fellowship with him. But Paul says, as, an, as a faithful ambassador, as a faithful pastor, he understood the urgency of the message. You can go to some churches, and you can even hear expository message, but no application. Why? Because that's easy. You don't offend people when you apply it when you don't apply it. You just give them the deep Greek words and you can be all the right stuff and they go home and say, ooh, we learned some stuff today. When you apply the passage to the heart, that's when you get people upset. You share the gospel. We know that we can't save anybody. But there is an opportunity for invitation. And he said, as it is written, the acceptable time I listened to you on the day of salvation, I helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. Why is he saying that to this crew? Because the reason there's trouble in the church is some of them are still unsaved. In any church of any size, there's a mixed multitude. That's just the way it is. Now, I don't know hearts. Only God knows, and the man knows the heart of a man. And you can fool people for a while. You know, the little rascal said, you can fool all the people a lot of the time, but you can't fool what? Mom, right? You know where your heart's at. God knows where your heart's at. Now we can look at fruit and we can make some guesses. And Paul is just bringing a challenge. Part of the reason as a, an experienced faithful shepherd, he understands part of the reason is these people are not even saved. Some have been pulled away by false teachers, but some could be pulled away so easily because they were never saved. As he says, you need to consider this. You don't know if you have tomorrow. You have the invitation today. He understood the urgency of the message that people that die without Christ spend eternity in hell separated from God. Verses three through five, a faithful man, a faithful pastor, understands the responsibility to protect. Now, I'm amazed at this chapter. 
Because every pastor that's done any length of time has come under fire. My son David's in Germany. Anytime a young man, and I always hesitate now. Uh, I used to think, oh, let's get our guys into church. Now I'm like, eh, I'm not so sure about that. If that church is not faithful in raising up their own leaders, why should we sacrifice our guys to them? Now, occasionally there's a good church. Our buddy Brian Johnson is pastoring in a church that he was not a Christian, but he grew up in that town. Now he's pastoring a church in that town, doing an amazing job, and that worked. Their former pastor uh, died while he was serving, and they loved that pastor, so Brian was able to come in. They just expected to love the pastor, and he hasn't been without his challenges. But many times when one of our, a guy that's really going to teach the word, he's just going to expose the word and lead the people, you go into a church that's not been led that way, there's going to be problems. David, my son, has just come through four years of that, and they're coming out on the other end. He calls it Jesus School for Pastors. We could entitle this message, The Real Ministry. When Brian Johnson went to, first went to Southern Seminary, he was down there and uh, having coffee like he always do in seminary, and he was listening to his compadres down there, and uh, they were talking about what they were going to do when they graduated. And they were only going to take this kind of church, they were going to have this kind of salary, they are going to lift this kind of house, and that church was going to move them there and pay for the expenses. And Brian thought, where in the world did I land? Because he was expecting he was going to come back to Wyoming, and 80% of the pastors in Wyoming, the uh, Baptist pastors, are working in order to support their family so they can preach. So he thought, I, don't, I didn't come here to get a big fat paycheck, but a lot of them had. And so surprised when they hit the ministry, and when they hit the ministry, the wind blows, the trouble comes, and the winnowing takes place. The separation happens, or maturity. Pastor Hall, I was always saying, when we've had uh, our fellows come and have hands laid on them to separate them from ministry and ordain them, sometimes we have Lynn preach, and he says, listen, in the ministry, you're going to get bitter, or you're going to get better. Now, what is the difference? When we look at these things real quickly that Paul's been through, we're not going to take a lot of time. But we can think, well, Paul was just really, whoo, he was just really tough. Or he didn't really feel it. It wasn't real. It just happened around him. No, it, re, it was real. It happened. We can look before he went down to Corinth. When he, when he got there, he was expecting another beating, and an angel came and stood beside him and said, Paul, why don't you relax? Nobody's going to lay a finger on you. That doesn't mean there wasn't going to be trouble because there's all kinds of trouble in Corinth. But you're not going to get beat this time. But how did he make it through all of this trial, this hardness? Well, God starts a trial at a time, doesn't he? The Holy Spirit is he that comes alongside. He's the coach. He knows exactly. No trial has taken you, but such as is common to man. Right? And God will always provide a way through the trial. He knows exactly what he's doing. He's the coach. Romans 5 says that's the way he builds us. Paul said he'd come to the place, he didn't glory just in his salvation, but in his tribulation also, because tribulation worked patience, endurance, right? Endurance. And that produced a stretching, the experience, and the hope, and the love of God was spread abroad in his heart by the Holy Spirit that was given. 
So it's a trial at a time. But when you look at all these trials in one place, you think, well, how in the world did Paul do that? It's called grace. Let me put a word on there. And we started with this last week. It's responsibility. And when we hear the word responsibility, we think of obligations. It was his obligation. No, no, what I'm talking about is grace. That when you get saved, God gifts you and he equips you for what he's called you for and he gives you the ability to respond to his leading. He gives you the, the ability to respond, the strength to respond to the tests and the trials that you might come, as James said, to the place that you are filled out, strong and ready for every challenge. But Paul is laying this out here, and I admire him for it because over the years, when you've been pastoring, especially in one place for this long, you get a lot of abuse. Lynn knows about it. Every pastor that's preaching the word goes through it. You get abuse. And you have to, as Paul said, that the number one thing about this passage is God is working together. He's the shepherd. He's leading. This is God's ministry. He builds the church. We're just following our opportunity is obedience. But when those challenges come, we have decisions to make. We're not just inert jello that gets zapped and formed and molded. Because you can quench the Holy Spirit, you can get bitter as a believer, or you can obey. Paul understood protection, and so he said, I want to remind you of this. This wasn't for him. So they could say, oh, that's right, Paul's such a great guy. This is so they could have a wake-up call and say, what in the world did we lead to follow these guys that didn't cost them anything to come in here and steal our hearts? And he did it by the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't think Paul on his own would have done that. You know, Jesus never defended himself. And I think it's a good mark in our own life when we think we have to defend ourselves to think about, okay, what's, what's the end of me defending myself? Is it so I just look better? Now, Paul was concerned about the church and the, the leadership that was coming in, the wolves that were coming in, the dogs that were coming in and stealing this church. Wolves don't be, build anything. They just feed on sheep. They don't shepherd sheep. They eat them. And that's what these false teachers were doing. So Paul said, I want you to remember that a faithful pastor has investment with his life. Told you before, there was a time of the quickly chosen elders, and I don't know how it happened, but it was a great time of learning for all of us. And I remember having a meeting with those guys, and that's where God taught us that an elder is not just a Christian that's been around for a long time and he's old. An elder is a shepherd, he's a pastor. There's not two different offices, there's not elders and the pastors work for them. There's only one. That's shepherd and elders, the same one. Then there's the office of deacon. And so we had a particular meeting, and I finally said, you know, fellas, if you guys aren't elders here, your life is not going to change much. If you change churches, nothing's going to change in your life. You know, to them, going to church is like going to Albertsons, okay? Now you go to Safeway, no big deal. You still get groceries. I said, but, but if I leave, my life changes because this church is my life because that's God's assignment right now. No anger, just these are the facts. That's what Paul's sharing with these guys. What, to, to remind them what it costs to get the gospel to them. 
This all didn't happen in Corinth, but what it cost Paul for him to keep going and not give up after he was stoned in Lystra and said, oh, hey, I think I'm just going to go back uh, to Antioch. I think it's a little safer there. We'll hang out there. We'll send younger guys that can handle stonings a little easier than I can. No, he kept going. So we have this list. He's committing himself and everything, and from four and five, he talks about the endurance. He endured afflictions, hardships, distresses. So there's trials, then there's the burdens of ministry, beatings, imprisonments, tumults, labors. I'm going to talk to us labor for just a second for you young men that are looking at ministry. One of the hardest challenges in my life is always telling young men, no, I'm not going to give you money to find out if you are gifted. I've done that. We as elders have done that. It doesn't work. And don't go looking for a position before you serve. Just start serving. The Apostle Paul had a business his whole life. He, he supported up to seven other people while he was turning the world upside down with the gospel. He understood what it meant to labor. And he knew these Corinthians, he was ministering to them and saying, hey, I haven't taken anything from any of you people. And he's, he's laying out for the fact, that the point is the call. If for some reason trial, tribulation comes and we don't have the finances in the church that all the people on staff can be supported at the same level they are now. You find out who's faithful or not. There's a time when David was here and the quickly chosen elders told us, we're not paying David anymore to be the music director. He was in college at the time. Said, okay. David said, and then, then they said, so we figured, well, he, they want somebody else. And... uh so then after some deliberation, they came back and told me, we're going to allow David to do it for free. All right, so I passed that message on. And David told me, Dad, that's fine. I don't do it for them anyway. I'm not doing it for the money. The money's a blessing, but that's not why I'm doing it. See, when you're called of God to minister, you're called of God to minister. If Paul would have been in Antioch or he stayed in Tarsus, he would have been making disciples. He wasn't looking for somebody to give him a job title. That's who he was. That's what his call was. Charles Spurgeon talks about a young man that needed some education, and he just loved sharing the gospel. And, and uh, Charles Spurgeon said, what, gave, gave him kind of a challenge, and the guy replied, and he said, listen, if, until you cut my head off, I'm going to keep preaching. And Charles Spurgeon said, that's the kind of guy we want in our pastor's college that's doing the work of the ministry, that's not afraid of labor, that's not afraid because they've been called to go to a place without support and say, let's see what God's gonna do here because God has called us. Paul was not afraid of labors. He goes on and he says, in sleepness, in sleeplessness and in hunger. And then in six and seven, a faithful pastor, a faithful ambassador is an able warrior. He understands the weapons of, of the war that we're fighting. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, Paul says, verse 3, for we walk not in the flesh, we don't war according to the flesh, because the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We're destroying speculation and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul goes through the armor. 
And he said, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel in our hand, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So Paul wasn't coming to do physical damage, although he did threaten him at one point, do you want me to come in love or should I bring a stick? But he wasn't talking physical because his, the weapons of his warfare are not carnal but mighty through God, but he was equipped to use them. He was an able warrior. And he says there, in purity, that's a weapon against darkness. A holy preacher is a weapon. Because Paul knew if there was unholiness in his life, who should, why should there be any belief of, even if it was good doctrine, if the life didn't match, it wasn't worth anything. In knowledge, he understood the word of God. In patience, that's a weapon, isn't it? Paul wrote Timothy and he said, the minister of God has to be patient. He's got to be kind because those that oppose the word also oppose themselves. They're destroying themselves and their disobedience. So we need to be gentle, patient, in kindness, in the Holy Spirit. Paul understood, unless the Spirit was doing it, it wasn't going to happen. And in genuine love, in the word of truth, in the power of God, weapons for the right hand and weapons for the left. See, he could endure all those different trials because he had learned from the word of God how to deal with the challenges that were come. What did Jesus do? What did Jesus say? What does the wisdom of the Old Testament say? What is righteousness? What is holiness? What's the decision? What does God want to do? And again, he wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. Spiritual words, that's the standard. And the spiritual leadership of God is he gives us spiritual thoughts in our life. Paul was an able warrior. And a faithful pastor always also understands the paradox of ministry. What is that? He said, by glory and dishonor. Glory and dishonor. Charles Spurgeon said that he didn't hardly endure a week without somebody writing and calling him names in the paper and even his own denomination destroying him, trying to destroy him. Just bring up other people to stand for the word in our day. John MacArthur, Franklin Graham. They're dishonored that the world hates truth, so they hate those men. Jesus said, when you identify with me, the world hated me, it's going to hate you. Now, that doesn't, shouldn't give us this negative idea in a persecution complex. It's just that we understand the paradox. People that love the word and want to read something that is going to give them a straight uh, shot on scripture, a, a good interpretation, they love John MacArthur, they love Warren Wearsby. The world never heard of people like that. They don't know who they are. And so Paul says there are all these paradox. These, it says, by glory and dishonor, by evil report and good report, regarded as deceivers and yet true, as unknown, yet well-known, as dying, yet behold, we live, as punished, yet not unto death, as sorrowful, yet not always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing all things. Paul said, the experienced warrior... The faithful pastor, the faithful ambassador, the faithful Christian isn't distracted by the world. 
You don't have to defend yourself on some of those things. They're going to call you names. Let it be. God will take care of it. Don't seek for glory and honor. Don't seek for the acceptance of the world. That's what so many churches have gone after. Well, how are we going to get people in here? Paul, as he was getting all this opposition, this church could have said, ooh, what have I done wrong? Oh, hmm, how can I be more sensitive to people? How can I have people want to seek out my attention? How can I become more popular in Corinth so the world will love me too? How can we get the world into the church? No, no, no. Paul wrote Timothy, he says, listen, I'm coming to you when he was writing about elders in 1 Timothy. And I want to be there. I'm going to help teach this stuff. But if I don't, I want you to know how to behave in the, church of the, in the church of God, which is the pillar and ground of the faith. If we're not going to hold up the truth, nobody else is going to do it. That's the job of the church, to hold up the truth. So Paul wasn't distracted about his personality. He just said, that's my job. But in verses 11 through 18, he also understood what the real problem was. The real problem was a spiritual problem. He looked everything through a biblical lens. It's a spiritual problem. He knew that their hearts were not desiring fellowship with him because their hearts desire fellowship with God because they're being distracted by the false teachers to go back to the world and have fellowship with the world. Or they weren't saved in the first place. They were just going back to the pig pen they came out of. And so Paul gives them instruction. Separate from the world. And separation is not geographic. We don't stay in the church and look out the windows and say, oh, it's bad out there. He's called us to penetrate our culture. He's called us to be in the world, but not of the world. What does that take? That takes a spiritual walk with God. So you know when all of a sudden the world's about starting to affect you, and so you pull back. Say, okay, that's enough of that. But at the same time, you have this urgency of message. You've got to be out there. You've got to be building relationships. It's not by building a list. It's by building your relationship with the Lord so he can lead you and guide you and put the words in your mouth as you speak and the decision that you need to make because he's your shepherd. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I pray as we gather around the table now that you would examine our own hearts. Lord, where worldliness has crept in, Lord, that you would point that out, even our hidden sides, because we're so used to defending ourselves and making excuses and doing an apologetic while, while what we do is okay when really we need to stand just open before you. Because all things are open before you. So we come to you with our hands lifted up and say, Lord, cleanse us. Make us the servants that you want us to be, faithful stewards of the salvation and the giftedness and the opportunity that you put in our hand. Help us not to be distracted by the world, by its attitudes, by its temporary glory, by its platitudes. Lord, focused on you. In Jesus' name, amen.